0: This is Vermont Credit Unions On Air, and I'm Joe Bergeron, President of the Association of Vermont Credit Unions. Today we're talking about the recently ended, or almost ended, 2019 session of the Vermont Legislature. Normally at this time of year we'd be doing a wrap-up review of legislative highlights combined with details of bills specific to financial services and lending. This year is a little different, with some key issues still in flux between senators and representatives in spite of both chambers being in Democratic Party control. Technically, House members adjourned for the year last week, uh, but the Senate chamber is scheduled to adjourn today, I think it is, so they ran a little bit longer. Joining me to provide insight on the state of affairs in the Vermont State House are our association's two advocacy experts. Adam Necrassen is president and namesake of the Necrassen Group Government and Public Affairs Team. Jessica Oski manages Necrassen Group's day-to-day operations in the State House and is point person for our association on most financial services issues. Thanks to both of you, Adam and Jessica, for joining us today. Happy to be here.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Let's start with what everyone's been seeing in the news for the past couple weeks or so, or at least people that follow state politics. Uh, so Adam, what's, hap- what's been happening in the state house between the two chambers and the leaders of the chambers? And um, you know, yeah, it's, a cur- it's
2: the most curious end of a legislative session I've seen in a couple decades. Uh, let's remember we have a Republican governor and, and a, a heavily Democratic legislature so how things work is the governor proposes ideas the legislature grapples with them all winter and by spring is sending uh, resolution of the governor's ideas and their own priorities to the governor well uh, this year uh, the democrats in the legislature charted a pretty aggressive agenda around a number of issues the top among them being paid family leave and minimum wage laws
1: I will Uh, add two bills that the governor vetoed last year.
2: As well as two bills that the governor vetoed last year. That's right. And um, long story made short, the Democrats in the legislature were unable to get themselves organized around paid family leave and minimum wage, and kind of the session ended without them being able to get on the same page and, and send the governor proposals in those areas, which on some levels betrays a lot of the work that they did do this session because the headlines are going to the, uh, you know, dysfunction around these two sure. labor priorities. Right. But um, they otherwise had a relatively productive session.
0: And and the issue I just, because uh, I, I was uh, listening to uh, a broadcast this morning uh, talking about um, the Senate continuing on today, and of course it got into the difference between the Senate and the House versions of uh, paid family leave, and minimum wage, and whatnot, and those two kind of uh, the the discrepancy between the two chambers was mostly based on the financing of those or one of those, wasn't it?
2: That's right. Pa- yeah. the The question really has been how f- aggressive to be on the minimum wage, how fast uh, and how high to raise it. I um, mean, the the Democrats were unable to agree, um, and then around paid family leave, the question was how broad, how much to include, and and how ambitious or necessary the tax would be to fund that. And uh, they also were unable to really come to agreement on that. All of which um, is curious because the governor's been a breakman on both of those priorities. So um, uh, on a lot of levels, the Democrats needed to be focused on getting their act together and, and engaging the governor rather than um, getting caught up in pursuing their own proposals between right. themselves. Right.
1: At the end of the day on Friday, Um, after the House adjourned, the Senate did pass two versions, uh, a version of each, the family leave bill and the minimum wage bill, over to the House. So first thing January, when the House returns, they will have the compromise bills on their agenda and could pass them early in the session.
2: And... um now that we're at this point of adjournment or this odd adjournment with the House adjourning Friday and the Senate adjourning today, probably, right. uh, um, you know, we can zoom out and take a, a look at the session from the bird's eye view and see the labor agenda aside, right. a, a, a fairly classic legislative session with um, fiscal policy where they balance the budget without any major new tax increases. That's that's their big and main job each year. And, you know, Governor Scott's been really strong at um, pushing a constrained approach to state spending. And the Democrats in the legislature were able to uh, put together a budget that meets that mark. Um, their signature priority, the governor and the legislature really... From the beginning of the session on, said they wanted to make big investments in childcare as a workforce issue to help young families in Vermont and and businesses that are struggling to keep um, workforce uh, full. Uh, they also uh, enacted a years in the making provision to increase the cleanup of Lake Champlain and the dirty rivers and waters of Vermont, which is a real big problem. The federal government, the EPA, is pushing Vermont to clean up our dirty water, and uh, uh, legislation was finally enacted this year to dedicate some new resources there. Um, another big priority this session, it turns out, was passing what's called T21, Tobacco 21, mm-hmm. setting the, the age for purchasing right. cigarettes and e-cigarettes at 21 years old.
1: And in, they also passed an increased tax on uh electronic cigarettes, vaping products, 92% tax. So that should put it out of reach for a lot of people.
2: Right, the, mm. the e-cigarettes are the hot right. thing. So it's a, a, a funny year in the state capitol. On, on a lot of levels, we saw the governor after his first two years of, of being pretty aggressive and pushing on uh, the legislature to um, you know change in a pretty big way school spending laws this year he seemed to take a different approach kind of put his ideas out there in January for a balanced budget um, and uh, laid back to see you know give the legislature room to run on their priorities and um, in some areas they were very productive and in in another area the labor agenda they just came up short on the timeline.
0: So I was gonna ask you if if Governor Scott's approach with the legislators, with the the state houses here, was a little bit different than it had been in his first term because, um, you know, it seemed like you heard a lot about the contention between uh, Scott and the legislators uh, in his first term. Uh, But since the last election, uh, I didn't, anyway, uh, read much about that. And and I I recall that at the end of the election, uh, Last year, there was uh, a lot of hype about, you know, there's a veto-proof supermajority when you combine Democrats with progressives and whatnot. And, and so, you know, there was this assumption that that might temper Scott's approach and whatnot. But, you know, I, I don't know what really came of that. We really didn't hear it any, anymore. We did not
2: that. see the anticipated conflict between right. the supermajority in the legislature and the governor. The governor did show up differently from his first two years in office. Uh, Why, I'm not sure, but he um, opted to be uh, very collaborative and low-key, laid back on some levels to leave the capital space to the legislature to see what they would come up with. And uh, by and large, it looks like an agenda that he'll be able to sign. There's um, still some bills that are out there that he might veto around toxics and business liability, uh, gun waiting period. Those two are, are on the watch list. What um, generally stated the bills where the conflict was expected, minimum wage and paid family leave, just didn't even make it out of legislature.
1: So the uh, other the other bill that didn't make it this year that the governor has expressed a lot of opinions about is the cannabis regulation bill, and credit unions also care about that one. Right, right, that's right.
0: So that one's on the docket for next year as well.
1: It's okay. pretty yeah different
2: than the labor agenda where they're right. kind of wrapped around their axle in Montpelier. The marijuana market regulation bill is uh, looks like it did just run out of time in the House and um, is on a path in January. I mean, we would expect by February next year, the legislature and the governor will have probably sorted out a a marijuana marketplace yeah, regulation I rec- bill. I
0: recall that cannabis bill was pass, being passed around in the House anyway, between a lot of committees, and so there were a lot of mm-hmm. fingers in the pot, touching a lot of different perspectives of it, and it just seemed pretty complex an issue. Right. Um, and so, like you said, Adam, it seemed more like a time thing than it did the the, the people for it and against it.
1: It felt like the House struggled um, a bit more than the Senate did in trying to. Uh, understand and address the governor's concerns mm. with the bill um, whether or not they will uh, whether or not they'll be able to address them to his satisfaction is yet to be known but mm. they did struggle a lot with the roadside testing issue which is complex and not easily addressed um, and so they did spend quite a bit of time working right. on that. Right. and they don't have a solution yet. And it's not clear whether they'll have one that the governor can live with or whether the governor will have to give a little bit to, based on the science. Hmm.
0: And, and I hate to kick it back to um, paid family leave minimum wage again, Adam, but one more thought before I forget. Um, you know, every uh, article that I've read of late uh, talking about the uh, the back and forth between the House and the Senate regarding those two issues always gets around to referencing that, well, Governor Scott's not gonna sign it anyway when he gets to his desk. Um, So by not acting, uh, the legislature not acting on those two, or finishing their action on those two pieces of legislation until next year, is that kind of pushing that issue off until next year, is there still gonna be a divide between the governor and the legislators on those two issues, are they far
2: apart? They do seem far apart, on um, the governor and the legislature, on paid family leave. And um, on some levels, the issue of minimum wage offers greater potential for compromise because they could the legislature could scale back their ambition right. to a you know, small, You're short-term minimum wage increase. You
0: can adjust the time frame and spread over, so it's more options, right? Right. Hmm. Interesting.
1: And next year is an election year.
0: So that adds,
1: and it's a presidential election year too. So it will um, things, politics will be amped up a bit.
2: They will. I mean, when we look ahead, that's what we generally see is a a big blue wave of voters, kind of likely, like they did in the last state election, responding to President Trump, and going to the ballot box, and that impacts who gets elected in Vermont. Interestingly, last year in, in an election where we saw that dynamic produce huge Democratic gains in the legislature, Phil Scott also won. He's mm-hmm. a popular governor right. with high favorability. Right. And he certainly, this this legislative session, laid back and, uh, uh, enough to sustain that popularity. You know, I recall
0: at our annual meeting a couple weeks ago, Adam, when you were part of a panel discussion, you know, talking about um, – You know, state house uh, goings on and so on and so forth. And um, you referenced with regard to federal elections that Vermont is uh, not always, not usually a strict party line kind of state that has been in the past a pretty purple state and and whatnot. And that a lot of people, like Governor Scott, get elected based on personality, likability, so on and so forth, not on party politics. And in a weird kind of way, um, the outcome of the legislature this year kind of, uh, to me anyway, kind of solidifies that interpretation of yours, that even when it's all people of the same party, there are still differences uh, between them. Um, and so it, it's really a people issue, not a party line issue between the chambers. That's right. It's
2: competing priorities and... Right. And... Different lawmakers have different priorities, and there's a limited amount of time and general fund resources to go around, and so we end up in conflict.
0: So, how does this affect? I don't want to put you in the spot here, but does this uh, legislative session, um, you know, how do you think it'll be regarded by by voters, and how do you think it affects, um, you know, legislators in the in the state house, and particularly leadership positions, as far as um, you know, has have any of them been tarnished in any way? Because it doesn't. The, the things that you read about, anyway, the big issues are the ones that there seem to be some conflict between. You don't read about all the string of things that you referenced that were very productive.
2: Right, right. Generally, our sense of voters is they attach to kitchen table issues, and when um, when it comes time for the election kind of attached to things that have affected them from an issues perspective, and then go to party voting for the state legislature and then favorability voting for statewide and federal offices. Sure. And that, uh, you know, the when we look at the polling, what Vermonters care about, the economy, jobs, health care, public education, um, property taxes, those issues the, the governor and the legislature really did not make any waves to upset people one way or another mm-hmm. um, there's there's a issue in certain communities around act 46 school merger uh, politics but but by, by and large um, it's a legislative session that that didn't produce a lot of uh, upsetting right action for voters it may not have excited some who have particular agendas
1: i would say in terms of the leadership in the house and the senate uh last friday the house uh was more unified around mitzi's the speaker's position on adjournment Mm -hmm. than they had been unified pretty much the whole year Mm -hmm. there were definitely a few progressives that weren't happy that the house was rushing to adjournment but for the most part the democrats and the republicans and the independents were aligned and supportive of the speaker um so whether um, this will hurt her in her future efforts to get reelected as speaker. It doesn't seem likely. Um, I don't know how this will play out with the Senate in terms of their yeah. leadership. Right. Right.
2: Yeah, likely no change there because even this kerfuffle aside, you know the the you know senators f- feel pretty accomplished and right. you know they're. Um, having a good run at their issues so i mean the truth of it is these kind of bumpy headlines likely don't kind of change the way things work at the state house although we would suspect they're going to go back to the drawing board and, and maybe try and you know be a little more focused on producing an outcome on their top priorities sure
0: Well, thanks for that high-level overview uh, of uh, this year's legislative session. That's good. And and so you're fairly confident that the Senate is really going to adjourn today? Are they coming back to to Montpelier today just to convene and adjourn? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. The
2: governor will give a speech. And
1: And technically, under the rules, they don't even have to come back in order to adjourn. The governor has the authority under the Constitution to adjourn them, to set an adjournment date. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like they are coming back today and they will adjourn. Right. Well,
0: great. Thanks for that. Can you move on, move us on to uh, more finance, uh, financial services related issues, Jessica, or things of interest to credit unions? Sure. Um,
1: there were there were two bills that passed this year that were of. Um, specific interest to credit unions, and there was a provision, a tax change that um, may be of interest to credit unions in the future. And then there's also the cannabis legislation that we referenced that um, in terms of uh, providing banking services to the cannabis industry that was of interest to credit unions. The first bill that passed that has uh, could have a specific impact or will change the day-to-day life of credit unions was the miscellaneous banking bill. Um, it was mostly changes, was an, a big bill, and it was mostly changes that don't impact um, financial institutions or credit unions. But there is a provision in there that will require that credit unions report the closure of ATMs to the state. Um, in the past As your members know, they let the state know when they open an ATM, but closing ATMs wasn't something that was reported. So the state was never really sure where ATMs were. So this is sort of a practical kind of a housekeeping matter, but it will impact um, credit unions. Um, The other, uh, you might wanna, Joe, you might wanna talk about why credit unions um, might be interested in the insurance sandbox Um, law that passed. I know it wouldn't really impact credit unions at this point, but it sets, it may lay the groundwork for a banking sandbox.
0: Right, right. Well, and uh, with passage of that, uh, do I recall correctly that Vermont becomes the first state in the country to have insurance sandbox uh, legislation passed, or something uh, akin to that anyway? Um, That's what I thought uh, that I was hearing from DFR, and, of course, we were in contact a fair amount at the time with CUNY um, Mutual, our credit union, primary credit union insurance, um, in, in primary credit union insurer, because uh, they had an interest in this insurance sandbox. Um, and maybe it was from them that, that I heard that Vermont would be the first in the country. But the, the, the gist of it, for people that aren't familiar with it, is that it gives the regulator, who happens to be our regulator in Vermont and other states, is separated, but here it's one and the same. Uh, gives that regulator the authority to give some certain um, liberties or waivers uh, from law to, um, in particular, startup organizations, but it could be existing ones like our insurance, Carrier Community Mutual, to do some, I'll call it kind of experimental trials and whatnot of um, creating new products that are intended for uh, a very narrowly defined group of people or delivered in a certain way and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. but things that are a little bit outside of the traditional uh, delivery mechanisms, structures and whatnot that the state law permits. And so Mike Pichick, uh DFR commissioner, you know now has the authority to uh, review and grant those kinds of waivers for a limited period of time. Mm-hmm. And I forget what the specifics are in the legislation. The legislature
1: did narrow considerably the authority yeah. that DFR requested Mm -hmm. but there still is um like you said the ability to waive certain uh regulations an example that uh was floated around a lot was the idea of these you see these new electric scooters on the road um or you know for for rent for an hour under the traditional insurance regulations you need to provide 30 days notice prior to discontinuing an insurance product, mm-hmm. but if you only want insurance for an hour, right. um, then it's that regulation is not practical to provide the kind of insurance that you might want to buy if right. you are going to rent a scooter for an hour. Right. Um, so this uh, legislation will allow new kinds of products like that. It's probably a little bit too simplified to talk about insurance for a scooter, but um, I think that there are more complex ideas at work, too. Yeah, and
0: you referenced Mm -hmm. the the start of of this uh, sequence of, of, you know, pertinence to credit unions, and, you know, I can't think of a good example right now, because I think it's primarily intended for things that we haven't yet thought about, Uh, but some insurer comes up with, and and something uh, might be delivered to credit union members uh, through a credit union. And so you know, it would fit into this kind of category. So
1: the other change that uh, we'll probably be talking about more in the future is that the uh, tax bill this year changed Vermont's corporate income tax apportioning methodology for intangible sales from cost of performance to market-based sourcing. A number of other states, I think 27 other states, have made this change. Under our current corporate tax, um, C corporations pay tax for the net income they earn from the economic activity they produce in Vermont. Um, in the future though, this is going to change to the market-based sourcing methodology where the attributed sales are where the service is delivered, not where they're produced. Um, and at this point that won't that change won't affect The bank franchise tax, but there is a study over the summer to look at whether the state would, uh, what the impact on the state would be to change from the bank franchise tax to market based sourcing for um, the banking industry. And the estimates at this point were that they would be able, the state would receive higher revenue from out-of-state banks if they made this switch to banking. Um, of course, in that conversation, the issue of the taxation of credit unions will likely be in the background. Somebody <laughs> It'll be the up. elephant in the I room. I can't imagine a, who, but somebody might bring it yeah. up. Right. <laughs> right. So um, we'll be paying attention to and that.
0: I, and I imagine there'll be a fair number of, uh, of interest groups or a interest group that will uh, have a different perspective on the amount of revenues that that change would generate for the state yeah. from out-of-state banks.
1: The, the last thing that happened this year that will impact credit unions but not until uh, next year is the there was a rewrite of the unclaimed property bill, mm-hmm. a massive change to all the statute relating to how unclaimed property is accounted for and um, reported. And that bill made it through the House, but it didn't uh, meet the crossover deadline, so it won't be taken up by the Senate until next year. Um, It's a massive bill, and uh, we've reported on it in the past. I'm not going to go into the details now, but it's suffice to say that um, credit unions have lots of unclaimed property on a regular basis, whether they're different accounts or or, um, gift cards and that kind of thing and uh, we will, once this law passed, we'll be part of helping to educate members on what the new requirements are. Right, right.
0: Can we talk about the cannabis for legislation for a second, even though that didn't make it out this year? Um, so this, was, this legislation was an effort by legislators to create a tax and regulate structure for the state of Vermont, right, for retail sales of cannabis, which was approved, was it last year, I think it was? Um, so, but it didn't happen. So we still have no businesses that are setting up shop, opening their door on, on the street. You're getting ready, right but. <laughs> getting close. It's a lot of ready, ready, not just go yet. Um, so we went in and testified in two, three times, two mm-hmm. times. I forget how, how often, but um, it was obvious. There was uh, a lot of intensity around that and a lot of interest in, uh, from our perspective anyway, about you know what does this mean to financial service providers and how are they gonna meet the demand from all these new businesses that pop up.
1: And will they be able to meet the demand? Exactly. Yeah.
0: Right. And, and I think our overriding message to them was, this is really from a financial services perspective, this is nothing new, this is really a federal issue. Uh, and whatever business decision a financial institution has made to date probably isn't going to change uh, because of a change in state law, mm-hmm. because the federal situation stays the same. And there is legislation uh, in Congress right now to try to, not to legalize, but to create a safe harbor for financial service providers. But, you know, but, <laughs> yeah. but there's a lot of buts <laughs> on, on that. So it's it sits out there anyway.
1: All you have to say is there's a bill in Washington, and then right, right. we don't have to go any further than that, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> generally
2: the, on the... Um, cannabis what's good they could now talk about it as the cannabis consumer protection bill that's what the attorney general kind of oriented it because they made this product legal and now want to create um, regulated access to it the state house conversation generally asks the question about the financial institutions and then quickly seems to see there's not much for state lawmakers to do there and they move on to other areas because this uh, you know this legislation is moving super slow it's been it moving around the state capital for years and gets a lot of constant conversation and so unlike some of these other issues that are kind of kind of come on fast and furious the marijuana regulation bill is super slow cooking and um, they just don't seem to have a, a a role for themselves in the financial institutions aspect of it it's well understood it's up to the credit unions individually and if there's going to be change that's meaningful it's got to come from washington
0: and that's just one aspect of it uh, and i think legislators every time that we testified or spoke to legislators in the hallways you know it you could see kind of the, uh, the the light bulbs glowing over their heads that oh i didn't stop to think that and then name the string of concerns you know from a financial service provider uh perspective but there's an equal number of string of concerns in a whole bunch of other areas of that legislation. You mentioned, Jessica, about, you know, roadside testing and, you know, there's controversy over, over that and what works and what doesn't work, what's reasonable and so on and so forth. And uh, there's just a, a, a whole uh, rat's nest of different issues that they were all digging into. Yeah, it's a lot like liquor
2: or cigarettes. They right. want to kind of have a, a regulatory system that keeps... Right.
1: The, it all constrained. The good news from uh, a policymaking perspective and sort of the bad news from a business perspective is that the surrounding states, many, many states in New England now and certainly in other parts of the country do have a regulated marketplace so we can learn from their experience. The bad side of that is that uh, many think that Vermont is getting behind the eight ball and losing opportunity to capitalize on some of the business opportunities mm-hmm. um, by this slow approach. Mm-hmm. For a fleeting moment, I
0: thought I heard some legislator in the state house, and I forget if it was in just a sidebar conversation with me or some article that I read, um, but some, uh, th- there was a fleeting moment of some legislator uh, circling back around to the state bank <laughs> issue again mm-hmm. with regard to cannabis when we are talking about the concerns of financial service providers because of federal constraints and whatnot. And it seems to me some fe- some legislator in Montpelier was referencing, well, maybe this is a role for the state bank that we keep talking about and so on and so forth. And I was just waiting for that to kind of...
2: Yeah, start. that'll surface. And then <laughs> yeah. the, the sun will set on that idea very quickly because yeah, sure. the, yeah. despite all the focus on regulation and government control, at the end of the day, state government doesn't want to have their hands involved in it in any way Sure, because of the... Um, Discomfort with the federal government. So these other states that are getting into it, those state governments may have a regulatory system, but they aren't actually involved in the business or the handling of the matter, which they leave to the private sector.
0: Was was that it for bills touching credit unions,
1: Jessica? That was pretty much it. Miscellaneous banking, insurance securities, um, a, a couple other bills that had a brief moment in the light this year related to some consumer protection matters and one was consumer protection in auto financing and the other was the debt collection issue mm-hmm. um, as you'll remember last year uh, the debt collection bill passed one house i think it passed the, the, the house and it got stuck in the senate it was reintroduced this year and, and it didn't get any traction, but I know that the proponents of that um, are going to be back again next year. The auto financing, uh, consumer protection for auto financing did get a little bit of traction this year, but it didn't move and expect that that'll come back again next year. The, the main provision that the proponents were promoting was the opportunity for a consumer to request and receive a copy of their submitted financing application so when they go to the dealer and they with the with the um, dealer they fill out a form um, an application for financing and that gets sent to the financial institution that's covering the um, financing that if they request a copy of that they should be able to get it and that uh, that obligation could fall to the credit union if they are providing the financing seems like um a pretty reasonable request. request yeah. uh, the problem has been that uh, some people have found themselves in car loans, and possibly the information that was provided to support that application may not have been accurate. Right, and so uh, they get stuck in a loan that they can't afford. And the from the consumer protection angle, they're trying to figure out how to. Put an end to that practice. So, I didn't sit in on any of the testimony of
0: that piece of legislation like you did, but I, I did have discussions with a lot of the different interested parties and whatnot. And um, it seems nobody told me this, but I assume, and we didn't talk about this, that one of the underlying uh, examples that kind of brought that aspect of that legislation to bear must have gone back to some case or multiple cases of some consumer. Uh, having somebody in the car dealership fill out an application and send it off to whatever lender and claiming afterwards that the information was false, uh, you know, I don't have that source of income, or whatever it happens to be in one of the copy of the application that they didn't receive at the the time that it was completed. So I I assume that was the gist of the issue. That is the gist,
1: and those applications apparently um, they're not printed for the consumer mm-hmm. often, and the consumer doesn't sign them. And so those that was another provision that was being considered. Can yeah. they um, require that the application be printed? The consumer has an opportunity to review it and sign it before it goes sure. to the, f- um, the financial institution, yeah. which all sounds kind of reasonable but
0: (laughs) i I think it was one of those devil in the details kind of issues because i remember when we were reviewing the legislation there you know questions that came to my mind and i think you and i discussed were uh the more detailed kinds of things like okay so um it seems reasonable you know at the time of application or shortly thereafter and whatnot but do you want somebody to be able to come back and you have to reply within you know a few days when it's like you know Two years later, or something like that. Right. I and mean, that information has been archived someplace, maybe if the loan doesn't exist anymore, or you know, whatever. So yeah, and
1: that, those kind of details, w- if this uh, legislation starts to move, those are the kind of things, that's the kind of details that we would out. then yeah. get into. For sure. Um, yeah. But the concept was one that yeah. seemed reasonable. Sure. Great.
2: The final note for every Vermonter is in the summer of 2020, no more plastic bags at the grocery store. Oh, yeah. I forgot Vermont's about that. Vermont's going to be. Um, join well, the movement. Is, to is it
0: re- so we're, we're a little, a little sidebar topic here. But is it really no more plastic bags, or is it plastic bags for like a nickel, or plastic bags in some situations, or something? Uh,
1: like no plastic grocery bags. Single-use plastic grocery bags. Um, you still will be able to put like your spices or your candy or something like that in a little plastic bag. Mm-hmm. Um, you will. The alternative is paper bags, and you will be uh, charged a dime for a paper bag Hmm. the idea is they want you to use reusable bags Hmm.
0: so the upside to this uh, so so the downside is maybe one of convenience for some people the upside for me personally is going to be no more stashing of those (laughs) really thin plastic bags in the closet when i get i always have the hole in the bottom (laughs) exactly (laughs) that's right right.
1: and there's a number of towns in vermont um, that 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 have either passed this or are have um are thinking of passing a similar law. So this, by having it be statewide, will be a uniform uh, approach so that stores that have multiple outlets won't have to be changing their policies from town to town. Brattleboro has, is one town that has had this no-bag policy in place, no-plastic bag policy in place for over a year, wow. and it seems to be working fine. I know that. Well, that's, that's great. Um, And uh, a good thing to point out,
0: Adam, for all those credit unions that hand out plastic bags for (laughs) the trinkets that they give away. (laughs) No, tote Um, bags. Credit unions give give out tote bags. uh, With that, we've reached the end of another Vermont Credit Unions On Air podcast and hope you found this one informative. You can hear all of our previously recorded podcasts by searching for Vermont Credit Unions On Air in the iTunes store or at SoundCloud.com. If you have ideas for a podcast on something you'd like to hear about, send it to podcast at Vermont Credit Unions with an s dot co op. Until our next podcast, this is Joe Bergeron with Adam McCrassie and Jessica Askey at the Association of Vermont Credit
1: Unions. Thanking you all for listening.